Hello and welcome to the Katie Helper Show. Thanks so much for listening. You can subscribe to the Katie Helper Show on iTunes and you can rate and review us there. Also, please become Patreon supporters at patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. Again, that's patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. This interview was recorded Thursday, July 15th, but it's still totally applicable. Really excited to be speaking to two wonderful guests. They're joining us from Cuba. Uh, Liz Oliva Fernandez is a 27-year-old award-winning Cuban journalist and producer with Belly of the Beast. She's won a Gracie Award and was co-winner of a One World Media Award for her work presenting the documentary series, The War on Cuba. Apart from her journalism and filmmaking, Liz is a dedicated anti-racist and feminist activist. And not to be outdone or maybe slightly outdone. For sure. Is Reed Lindsay, an award-winning journalist and documentary filmmaker who has lived in Mexico City, Buenos Aires, Port-au-Prince, and Cairo, and has reported from Libya, India, Venezuela, and Honduras. His work has been published in more than 20 major newspapers and magazines and has aired on numerous radio stations and broadcast on television news networks throughout the world. They both produce Create the War on Cuba, which is a three-part film series telling the story of the impact of U.S. sanctions on Cuba and the interests driving them. And the series, which can be viewed online, takes an on-the-ground and in-depth look at the economic war currently being waged by the U.S. government on the Cuban people. The series is executive produced by Oliver Stone and Danny Glover. And it's really good, I'm not just saying that. Hi, I'm Liz. People come to Havana looking for the real Cuba. And this is what they do. But this is not my Cuba. My Cuba isn't so romantic, but I'm happy here. I love my country. Cuba is safe. We've got free healthcare and education. I graduated from university without paying a penny, and I became a journalist. Pero lo mejor que tiene Cuba es su gente. But we've got one huge problem: the economy. La situación está mala. Malísima. Fea, fea. Pésimamente mal. Está difícil. Estresante. Caótica. Estambela. Ahora mismo está fatal. A mí ni me pregunto. Welcome, Liz and Reed. Thank you so much for joining. Thank It's you. a pleasure. So tell us what is happening right now in Cuba as we speak. You first. Porque, <laughs> you first. Uh, you, you first, Liz. Um, bueno. Ahora mismo el panorama está calmado. Eh, no han habido más protestas. De los últimos eh, incidentes que tenemos noticias son del lunes de julio. So, okay. so um, it's been calm, right? There have been no um, no events since Monday. Yeah, basically. That's the panorama. Yeah. Reed, do you mind taking over a little bit? The translating a little bit. Better pass. Or you, or you want to do in English? Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to try it. Okay. Uh, I was saying that uh, what happened the last uh, Sunday was the result of the people was really tired uh, for the economic crisis that QR I live in for more than six decades. Um, also, people are talking about a political protest. There's no right. There are that just people came up on the street took on the street and show the government uh, they are unhappy with yeah. the actual, the nowadays situation. 
Um, and it's funny because when you talk with them and you ask them why, they say, I don't know, I just want a change. I don't know how and when, I just want that my situation change. Uh, they blame for all to the Cuban government. It's reasonable because uh, the Cuban government is the face that the people that they want to ask explanations in some way. So, but um, U.S. media sometimes uh, forgot that the actual economic crisis that Cuba are living is also because the U.S. sanctions, and they don't mention that at all. Um, for example, as a Cuban that born, that I was born uh, under the blockade of politics, I can't tell you how much of this situation is fault of my government or how much is fault of the U.S. government. Because since, for example, the revolution, uh, the Cuban revolution came to power in 59, uh, 1959, and uh, the blockade sanctions started in 60, 1962. So just two years of difference. And uh, I don't know uh, what my government can do about the sanctions of the U.S. and right. how bad my government is and how they dismanage uh, the situation of the economic of my country uh, because they always... Uh, have to deal with the blockade also. I don't know if it's made clear myself because it's my first time in English. It's great. You're so good. I'm so glad that I got so uh, flustered by the translation that I appealed to an alternative because your English is great. I guess I wanted to ask um, both of you what you want to make sure that people who are not in Cuba, what, what you want to make sure people know. The, the internet's been mostly cut. We've got internet now, okay. obviously because we have Wi-Fi and VPN. And most Cubans don't Whoa. have uh, Wi-Fi. Uh, so the uh, cell data is relatively new in Cuba. It's just been the last few years, but as you might imagine, it exploded. Pretty much everybody's got phone with cell data. Cell data has been cut uh, essentially for the last few days. Um, Wi-Fi is still available in inter internet parks yeah. and uh, in people's homes, but- um, But they need VPN. You need a VPN, and so it's been limited the uh, the access to internet. And then in that context, uh, those who are connecting are getting a lot of fake news and rumors. Uh, for example, there was news coming out of the province of Camagüey that there had been a. Uh, I think the city. Yeah, they said it was a liberated city, and they'd seized uh, they captured the, the head of the Communist Party there and it was taken over by protesters and it was, as it turns out, it was all completely okay. false. So uh, it's, it's not, and because there's also not interprovincial travel because of COVID, you can't travel, you can't get in a car and go to Camagüey and see what's going on. Uh, so it's very difficult to verify and find out what's going on in other parts of the country. Um, yeah, the, so yeah, a lot of uh, uncertainty about what, what is happening. Yeah. And I saw that there's this, you know, this viral footage of, of the people in Cuba rising up, but it's like in Buenos Aires. I don't yeah. know if you saw that video. It's like, yeah, and there's, fake. Another, there's another one of a tweet I saw of uh, uh, Alexandria, 
Egypt after Mubarak <laughs> fell, because you know the the boardwalk there it looks very similar to the Malecon here. Yeah, and it uh, the flags course different so pretty easy to identify but at the same time yeah, a lot of that stuff going around eso de Venezuela okay Venezuela. eso vi ayer no sabía uh, yeah there was a uh, third there was I, I just saw this yesterday a tweet from somebody who was criticizing me on Twitter and it sort of seemed like a made-up fake account because just recently opened and and I saw on on his Twitter account there was this picture really horrific picture of a 13 year old who had been killed with blood covered in blood and liz is saying that that was actually from venezuela it's not, yeah. not from cuba yeah there's definitely i mean there there's a definitely a a war uh an intern and in, information war people in the united states talk a lot about like you know trump's war on on truth but there's a a, a lot of i feel like a lot of the bias about Cuba is expressed not just through fake news, of which there's a lot, especially now, but also just through framing. And so we see the protests in Cuba, but there was like no coverage of the protests in Haiti. Also, uh, I forget to say that uh, it's, it's easier that uh, people playing to the government uh, because you can see the blockade. You can't see the sanctions. Uh, the government has failed in the way that they try to explain how the blockade works in Cuban people. So Cuban people don't understand how the blockade or the sanctions affect us. So it's easier. Who can see? Who they can see? The government. And the government is doing wrong all the time. And um, sometimes they forgot because they don't see the sanctions and the government has failed in the way that it, they try to explain the blockade to us. To, to give an example, um, we've heard, we were told that the uh, you know Cuba produces two of the five most uh, five top vaccines in the yeah. world in terms of efficacy, which is remarkable for a small, poor country that is blockaded by the most powerful country in the world. In any case, they've, they've been able to develop their own biotech industry. They have these two vaccines. We both uh, received our vaccines. All of Havana is uh, is set to receive, all, all Havana adults will, will have received vaccine by the end of this month. But more people uh, could be vaccinated because Cuba's Soberana uh, vaccine was delayed in production uh, because uh, the, uh, the biotech company that makes it was unable to import an important component needed to produce that vaccine from a country in a third country, not, not the United States, that used to sell them the vaccine, but then was unable to because of the blockade. I can't tell you the name of the company or how long production was delayed or the name of the component uh, or any of those details because the Cuban government hasn't provided them to us as journalists. <laughs> in part, it's because they can't in this specific instance, because uh, if they start giving out those details, it can make it even harder for them to find a company that may be right. willing to sell them. So they tend yeah. not to like to give those details sure. out. So that's part of the reason. But then they also, as far as their communication strategy, have, have failed. And then I think part of it, too, and Liz talks about this in the beginning of the War in Cuba series, she says people are sick of hearing about the embargo. Even right. when they do talk about it effectively, they've been hearing about it for 60 years, 
And at some point, you keep hearing about it, hearing about it, hearing about it, and nothing ever changes. Maybe you start thinking, this thing doesn't even exist. They're just making this up. Yeah. Also, I, I have an interview in the morning. Um, and people was uh, telling me about the how tough the situation are for them. I was asking, maybe what is, is called the sanctions too? They said, okay, stop. Don't talk me more about the blockade. I know the blockade. Now give me solutions because right. I'm tired. And I understand that. And, and the government doesn't have any solutions because the sanctions are only more than increased during the Trump government. And Biden come to the power at day until now has done nothing yeah. to change the situation. Yeah. So. Biden has done nothing to change it. And he hasn't rolled back the things that Trump did, yeah. right? Was it Jen Psaki said Biden is not Obama on Cuba? Yeah. Like, I wish. That's too bad. But that's uh, that's really interesting. Of course, we have the opposite problem in the United States, right? Which is that when you're like, okay, we en enough. We know about the sanctions. Don't talk to me about sanctions. I want answers. I want solutions. Here, no one talks about the sanctions. No one knows about the sanctions. Like, they kind of do, but they don't know about the impact that that has on the situation in Cuba. So they just think, like, United States happens to be blockading or is, you know, have, happens to have an embargo against a, a country that's that's so terrible. I mean, it's a total self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Because then they get to say the country, it's so terrible that they have these protests. And that's why we have these sanctions, as opposed to these sanctions are contributing to the economic like despair or whatever the word is that you want to use. And I find that a very hard line to walk as someone who, you know, I obviously have a I have a perspective. No one who watches my show, I'm pretty like I don't claim to be objective, but I do sometimes. I'm like I don't want to be too critical because I feel like the U.S. media here is so critical. But then you also don't want to sugarcoat what's happening. So that's just something that I struggle with personally. But I think it's really uh, you know to me it's like anyone who doesn't talk about the the sanctions, any international reporters who don't talk about the sanctions, they're not like engaging in journalism because it's such an important part of the story um but w what else do you want to make sure that people know about i mean this is just it's so rare that people hear people from cuba talking so and we're gonna have to do this again live now that i know that you're at another point we'll do it live now that i know that your english is so good uh liz sorry i'm sorry, thrilled sorry. about this because now i can stop doing interviews and liz can take over yeah yeah no. she's gonna become the no yeah. i don't yeah. Yeah. Uh, so people are, are sick of the sanctions. Um, t t can you talk more about what the effect is on on the people of Cuba, of the sanctions of the blockade, what you would like Biden to do about this, what you would like Americans who are critical of, of Cuba to do? I've spent a lot of time in Cuba over the last several years. And as someone from the U.S., I am outraged at the Biden administration. And uh, I, I don't think you can spend time in Cuba uh, among its people. Maybe maybe the, 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 the Americans who are, you know, holed up in the embassy have a different perspective because they don't interact with human beings here, uh, except on social media and, and dissidents who they're paying. But if you actually spend time in Cuba and you see the impact of these sanctions and you look into it, it is outrageous. It is... Uh, it is uh, the, the recent comments by the Biden administration were uh, cynical, um, blaming Cuba for the economic problems in the country, 
saying that they saying that people in Cuba were on the streets because they didn't have access to vaccines, which is false. And and if they did have a delay in their vaccine production, it was caused by U.S. policy and probably cost lives. The sanctions are costing lives. They're killing people in Cuba and creating tremendous hardship for millions of people. It is uh, an outrage. And for the human for the United States government to go out and say that they're concerned about human rights is couldn't be more hypocritical. And Biden and his administration know this. You know, you don't expect any more from Trump, right? I actually felt less outraged under yeah. Trump because what do you expect from him? And and he handed over policy uh, decisions essentially to Marco Rubio. Right. What do you expect from him? But you'd expect more from Biden and his administration, which has uh, top-ranking people who were involved in the opening up under Obama and saw the positive changes that started taking place on every level during the last two years of Obama's administration, saw how the economy was improving, saw how private uh, business, private sector entrepreneurs were thriving in Havana, um, saw how uh, the uh, cultural exchanges uh, were, were occurring on an unprecedented level, academic exchanges, people in the U.S. traveling here, Cubans traveling to the U.S., incredible hope and optimism. Uh, and Trump crushed that. And Biden is crushing it even more. And, um, and what people in the U.S. should do is, is they should talk about it. They should voice their opinion about it because it's very cynical what Biden is doing. He's doing, I believe that there's two things motivating his administration. First, what has motivated every administration, Republican and Democrat, to maintain this policy towards groups for the last 30, 40 years, which is they want to win Florida. Biden lost Florida. Uh, the Democrats lost two key congressional districts in South Florida. They are afraid. Uh, I think it is a miscalculation because Obama won Florida, taking a different policy towards Cuba. And by, you know, with this whole storm of uh, right-wing resurgence uh, across the country and in South Florida and sort of this fear-mongering around socialism, they're, 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 they're afraid. And they're trying to take the centrist path, which I think is a, they're going to lose because uh, they're not going to win those hardliner votes anyway in Florida. And secondly, I think that they're looking at the situation here. They see how desperate people are. They see how much people are suffering. And they probably are taking the calculation of, let's just wait on this. There's no rush here. Let's wait and see if people suffer even more. Even more people die. Let's wait and see if the situation gets really, really bad. And maybe the, the government will just fall on its own. And then we'll be even in an even better position to negotiate whatever it is that we negotiate with the, with the Cuban government or whatever other government might come about. I think that's what they really hope might happen. It's very cynical, not in the interest of the U.S. people at all. And it's certainly not in the interest of the Cuban people. Sorry for ranting. No, please. Welcome to the, I mean, it's nice to have rant company. Can you just talk about the syringe situation? I mean, here you have this country that's developed vaccines. The first Latin American country to develop uh, COVID back, uh, nine. vaccine. Yeah, I think we have two, two vaccines. Yeah, two, um, yeah. Um, the sample is easier. We are able to uh, develop two vaccines, but we don't have uh, heringillas. I don't know how to Sir, say that in English. Syringe. Syringes. Syringes. So we don't have any. So 
is incredible uh, because how is that possible? Because the blockchain is easier. Maybe uh, the enterprise that are selling, have been selling uh, surrenders to Cuba is canceling deals with Cuba and we are not able to buy them. Uh, there, there's also for for the Cuban government to import. So there's a demand, high demand for signatures around the world. So there's like there is a big demand, and I think that even sure. no matter where you are, from what I've been told, it's hard to get stuff related to COVID because everybody needs syringes. Right. But then on top of that, the Cuban government just they can't just go anywhere because a lot of the companies that are oh, making them aren't going to sell to Cuba because they're like, why? We could sell this anywhere. Why would we take the risk of selling to Cuba and we could get hit with a fine from the U.S. government? We can sell it somewhere else and not have to take that risk. So it makes it even more difficult for them to obtain them, which is why there's this campaign. They raised half a million dollars to donate syringes to Cuba. You also can receive cancer treatment as a first country level. Uh, but at the same time, when you go to the drugstore, they don't have aspirin or right. ibuprofen for you uh, because the Cuban uh, government doesn't have the components that they need to produce that kind of uh, medicines. So there's a lot of example like that. Right, uh, yeah. For example, my mom is a doctor, she's a surgeon. Yeah, she's a urologist. Um, she told me every time that uh, they have a lot of patients with cancer, um, that they receive the best treatment that they can in Cuba uh, because uh, we have like uh, doctors that are prepared to, that, to do that job and to save life. And at the same time, they don't have, for example, I don't know how to say that in English, sondas colectoras. Uh, it's a kind of uh, bag that they use to uh, drain the, I don't know, bolsas colectores como sondas que usan para lo de orines, para la prostata. Something to drain from the, yeah. something from yeah, the body. Yeah, it's something basic that they need in every uh, surgery. Another thing that I've done a bunch of interviews uh, with major media networks in the last like few the days. Katie, like the Katie Halper show? Yeah, that's that'll be one of them, and uh, but uh, but but not with such the the questions are not of the same caliber. Other ones I've done, and uh, so I keep getting asked this question. Uh, Cuba has been criticized for its mismanagement of the uh, of the co of the COVID of uh, the pandemic. It's an outrageous question because Cuba's COVID rates are five times less than that of the United States in terms of uh, per capita. And then what is, is more fascinating is that mortality rate yeah. is three times less in Cuba. That, is, that means that if you get COVID in Cuba, a poor country, blockaded, where people have almost no money uh, and basic medicine, if you get COVID, you are three times less likely to die of it in Cuba than in the United States. And uh, that is those are up-to-date stats. That's yesterday. So that includes the recent... Um, explosion of cases in in the provinces, which sparked the protest. Uh, so even with the, re the the recent uptick in cases, Cuba's uh, uh, handling of the COVID uh, crisis has been far superior to that of the United States and to most countries in the world. This is beyond the vaccine. They've taken a preventative. Uh, they, right. as they take to all healthcare issues. It's all about preventative healthcare and. Uh, 
Um, and and it's just, that's sort of been lost in this whole thing, which is, you know, uh, it, it's quite amazing. And it certainly, as you met, you had asked before about Haiti, that, that would be a significant difference between Haiti and Cuba and Cuba and a lot of other countries that, that uh, even through this, all, uh, this crisis uh, and all the problems that face, they still have managed to, um, to, 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 to do a pretty admirable job uh, dealing with COVID. Yeah, and they've also, I mean, it's so interesting because the whole like discovery of vaccines, that really challenges the premise of privatized medicine, right? I mean, such a big idea justifying uh, the big markups in big pharma is that you need this to have innovation, right? You need to have these insane profits in order to motivate doctors and scientists to do the research. And, you know, Cuba has done you, they made two vaccines, but also they discovered the meningitis vaccine. And preventative medicine is something that, again, as you said, it's really stunning that a country so much poorer than the United States is managing its COVID better in terms of the mortality rate. And I think that, you know, that's something that people in the United States knew that there were models like that out there that were possible. People were, we would be like in the streets, you know, this profit over life. It's disgusting. Well, I think that uh, that was a really I, uh, insightful thing you said, I, which is if people knew about it. And I, I do think that one of the reasons that our policy is the way it is towards Cuba is that uh, it's it's a threatening thing. And people know about it. What if people and when I go back to the U.S. and, and talk about Cuba, I, I actually when I when I actually when I go back to the United States and I and I have to go in and get my health care and uh, and then I'm asked for an insurance card or then I'm told I have to get an x-ray and I'm like, uh, I can't afford that. So maybe I won't do it this time. And I'm making decisions like that. Uh, I think, I, I think about Cuba and I talk about Cuba because I'm like, cause in, in the U S we're talking about the healthcare problems compared to Canada or Sweden and other places. What about Cuba? Because Cuba, I mean, cause you hear in the U S you can't, we can't afford a uh, public healthcare. Well, if, the, if this country that is so poor can afford it, then, uh, um, uh, then, then the U.S. can do it. I mean, if Cuba can do it, any country in the world should be able to provide health, free health care to its population. Right. And, and how does the, the medical uh, system there, how has that translated into the uh, lower mortality rates? Well, the, um, the mortality rates, um, I, I think, and Liz, I'd like to know what your thoughts on this are. But I think it has to do with the fact that as soon as you get COVID, you're, you're in the hospital. Symptoms are not. Everyone is getting taken care of. Now the system is under strain now. So they've created sort of makeshift hospitals like yeah. in certain areas aren't even hospitals. But you are not at home sort of fending for yourself. They also have acute, uh, homegrown medicine mm. that to treat COVID. I mean, I've, from what I've heard, family members and others, and COVID, you sort of have to weather it out. But they, Cuban, Cuba has medicine, they say, helps treat it. It doesn't cure it, but it helps uh, prevent you know, the situation from getting worse. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you've got a doctor looking at you early. When we've talked to doctors who are uh, who have treat COVID patients, and they've told us that, yeah, the, the, the cases they get that a lot of the, the serious cases that they, where they can't save people, it's because they get to them late. Um, uh, that the people, that, but but in but Cuba does a really good job of nipping in the bud yeah. um, because of that, and they also have doctors in every corner. So as soon as people have symptoms, they're usually 
and they're not worried about having to pay to go to the hospital. And so they, they get there quickly. They're treated very quickly. Yeah, I think like the key of success is uh, prevention. And Cuba discovered it uh, because we are really good at it. Um, in fact, people, I think that Cuba is uh, one of or the only country that identify people that have COVID without symptoms. Because once, as uh, Reid uh, explained to us, uh, one that one people is identified that have COVID, uh, they uh, make a lot of texts to the rest mm -hmm. of the people that you are being contacted during a week. Uh, your families, your relatives, your friends, your neighbors, all that kind of people are 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 um, there. They have to. Uh, do the test for COVID. Uh, they also, even when the test is negative, you have to uh, stay in your home, isolated. Isolated. Um, you have to continuous visits from your doctors and nurses, and sometimes are just uh, students that are are uh, medic medicine students. No. Um, you have to wait for 15 days before you are uh, free to go and continue with your life because you have been in contact with someone that uh, is diagnosed with COVID-19. Wow. Um, and last thing, and I'm really so grateful for your time, and I'm definitely going to have you guys come on again if you if you will do it because my audience would love to be able to ask questions. Um, but... Uh, can you talk a little bit, I guess last question for you, Reed, and then I have another question for you, Liz, but can you talk, Reed, about the comparison between Cuba and Haiti, both in terms of kind of the realities in those countries and the media's coverage of it? Yeah, uh, you know, it's interesting. I, I, I was really exposed to Cuban healthcare in, in Haiti because I, I was able to see the, Q, the Cuban doctor, the Cuban uh, health, their international health program and its impact on him. It was. It was. I. 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 In Haiti, I covered a lot of the, the the failure of international aid, and I felt like the Cuban model was the most successful model of not aid, but of one country helping another country um, through solidarity. And and uh, Cuba has has sent for years hundreds of doctors. Our Cuban doctors are, are in Haiti working in the poorest areas. But what's even more than uh, impressive than that is that Cuba trains Haitian doctors and uh, for free, free education, Haitians go to Cuba, they spend seven years here, they become doctors, they go back to Haiti, and then their commitment is to work two or three years in the poorest areas. It's reverse brain drain, it's remarkable. And so I was so impressed with that. And of course, because Haiti has no healthcare system and um, and it is, uh, they, you know, there's basically a non-functioning state but um, yeah, the coverage of the two countries, the, that story in particular, by the way, five years in Haiti, I was there. Nobody did that story. Not one media organization did a story on that in five years, except for I, try, I, I did it. So, <laughs> it was an amazing story, inspiring a model that the rest of the world could follow. No one did it. No one was, no one was remotely interested in it. But anyway, what I found is, yeah, the, I'll, I'll, I'll compare the protests and coverage of the protests, um, they are, uh, one thing that struck me about the protests, I'm not gonna say, sugarcoat the, the 
uh, uh, repression. All, the, the Cuban police is repressive because all police forces are repressive. Right. And, the, and the government, when threatened, uh, calls out security forces to be repressive. That happens everywhere in the world. It happens in Cuba as well. And so there was repression on, on Sunday. And people were beaten. And people were detained unfairly, just being on the streets and protesting peacefully. That occurred. And, uh, and, and that's not right. And, and, that, and the Cuban government should be called out for that. But, it, but if you're going to contextualize it, the, pro, the repression was not even close to what I've seen in Haiti and many other countries, certainly in the United States. Right. Um, there's, no, there's no tear gas. There were no rubber bullets. I mean, I, I've been a lot of protests around the world. Usually protest means tear gas. They're almost synonymous. There's no, no tear gas. The, uh, there, were, there were clashes with police. The police responded, sometimes with excessive force, beating people. Um, but overall... Uh, you know, I, I don't, the day, the day of the massive protests, at least, I, as far as I know, no one was killed. Uh, the media coverage of the protests was, uh, and, we're t- and let's talk numbers as well, several thousand in, in, uh, in Havana. The rest of the country, I don't know, because I wasn't there. But uh, um, a protest of a few thousand people, three or four or five thousand people, is a daily occurrence in a lot of places, including the United States. Uh, in, in Haiti, I've been, uh, I mean, I, I've been in Haiti when the entire country was paralyzed with hundreds of thousands of people in, this, in the street. And the media coverage of one versus the other, it was, yeah, not, it was disproportionate, let's say. I, in some ways, that's fair because the protests were unprecedented because right. people just don't, that doesn't happen. So even if it's a few hundred, it does deserve coverage because it is, it is something new, it is unprecedented, and it needs to be covered. At the same time, uh, the coverage was completely de- decontextualized, as Liz says. Um, people have legitimate complaints and, and, and concerns, and their voices need to be heard. Um, and at the same time, uh, the, the, the causes that have created the situation that has driven them to take the streets also need to be uh, uh, talked about and shown. And that, that's something you just don't see in the media. Yeah. Yeah. The Biden treatment of Cuba, I, I was interviewing um, Julian Assange's brother, the other day and last week I interviewed his uh, fiance and this the parallel I see here is that you know so many of the liberals who love Obama they were so happy about his policy in Cuba right they were so happy that Obama was this constitutional law professor who respected the rule of law and was making us like friends with the world again and then Trump came in and he you know got rid of all of that you know was this monster cheeto mussolini unprecedented threat and then thank god biden obama's vice president wins the election now he's in power and he's like accepting the status quo set up by trump you know he's he's kept these all these uh sanctions against cuba there are i think 243 yeah unilateral courts of measures right that they've maintained and same thing with assange it's like Obama stopped pursuing him. And now you're siding, Biden, you're siding with Pompeo and Trump on Assange, on Cuba, on many things. But it's just, it's really shameful. It is in there. Uh, I, I, I was very cynical when Biden got elected, much more so than most people I knew who 
Although Cubans, I found, were very cynical, too, because they're so used to it. I would ask Cubans, um, the foreigners I knew in Cuba would be like, oh, Biden's coming. Things are going to change. I was very cynical because I was in D.C. after the coup in Honduras, and I watched how the Biden right. administration at that time, with Clinton, the secretary of state, how they did a 180 so quickly because they just have no conviction and they were easily pressured and they don't, right. know, they don't really know what they want. And, uh, and I, so I thought that sort of would happen. Without, they, they get pressured by the right wing and they would just cave. And Cubans, I found, were so cynical because they're just yeah. so used to U.S. It doesn't matter. Democrats, Republicans, right. they all screw them over. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That's <laughs> yeah. the point. In 60 years, Democrats and Republicans all the same. The right. sanctions are, are remaining there. So Yeah, they're bipartisan. Yeah. Yeah, yeah well, uh, yeah, and it's, uh, you know... He, he like he's a an apparently a return to international norms except for the international consensus that the embargo ends and a couple of other things that there's international consensus over but thank you guys so much liz and reed definitely come back awesome yeah thanks again right, bye care. thank you guys so much bye. thanks so much for listening you can subscribe to the katie helper show on itunes and you can rate and review us there also please become patreon supporters at patreon.com slash the katie helper show again that's patreon.com slash the katie helper show make sure you follow the belly of the beast on twitter that's belly beast cuba on instagram facebook and on youtube it's belly of the beast cuba 